Ben Jabawi had an offer on the table to sell Privy. He accepted. I mean, he had to, as the business was just about out of money and he knew it needed to pivot in order to stay alive. That required money. So he decided to sell. Then the deal fell apart. So now what? They couldn't fold the company. A handful of passionate users had told Ben this. So Privy asked a handful of loyal users to pay for a year upfront and allow them the opportunity to continue building the product that they needed. The next three years were a grind. Ben says every day was the same. But when you're this close to going out of business, the opportunity to continue serving customers was exciting for Ben. Here's the story of what happens when you let go of external pressure and let your customers guide the way instead. This is Ground Up. It's a podcast about growth, except without all the numbers. Here, we tell the stories of everything behind the numbers, the ideas, the habits, the discipline, and also the personal and professional growth of some of the smartest marketers and business owners that we know. I'm John Benini, and I'm your host. Jabawi. Sounds like a it sounds like a planet in Star Wars or something. <laughs> <laughs> I know Jabberwocky. Yeah, ja- is that what it is? Jabberwocky. What are Jabberwockies? I know what the oh. I don't even know. Are those what those those are those dancers, right? That look like know. ninjas or something. I, I don't know. I wasn't like a huge Star Wars. Guy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyways, uh, so startups rarely survive first contact with the market without some sort of change, right? Without pivoting in some way. And I know Privy is is no stranger to that. So who is Privy today and how is it different maybe from what you initially envisioned or set out to be in the market when you first founded the company? Yeah, so today uh, Privy is a marketing automation platform for small and mid-sized e-commerce merchants. And we support over 400,000 stores around the world. That's huge. Yeah, massive impact, uh, love it. But when we first started, we were trying to serve small brick and mortar businesses uh, with marketing software, but it was originally focused on building a digital offers platform so that they could track how many of their you know digital visitors or ad clicks walked into the store. So a bit more of a offers and attribution right. for brick and mortar. So totally different customer, though still small business uh, and still marketing focused. So the email capture portion of it, how, how was that, did that play a role in the initial product? It did, it did, yeah. So the, um, the, the workflow for the brick and mortar businesses was that they'd put Privy on their site, they'd use our dashboard to create a coupon, like right. a, a Groupon-esque type thing. And they'd push that on Facebook and on their website, uh, but they would capture an email in exchange for the offer. And ultimately, what we learned after three years of grinding uh, and (laughs) being too focused on the wrong thing was that people loved the email capture components. They loved how easy it was to design and deploy marketing campaigns without developers they had never grown their email list that quickly. They didn't really give two shits about uh, the attribution side. Right, right. 
<laughs> so, but so, obviously, that that was a much different customer, or at least a bigger market initially that you were going after than you are now, right? Small, medium size, you know, online stores, e-commerce companies. What was it like? How did you land on that customer? So, well, first, like, how did you land on the feature, right? Like, how how did you figure out this? This is the core part of the product that people actually care about. This is what we're going to lean into, and then from there. How did you narrow that down to the specific market? Yeah, so we we originally weren't going to pivot the business. I was just going to sell the business. And we had a acquisition offer on the table that we were pursuing that we were going to go ahead with that fell apart. And so we were kind of approaching bankruptcy, essentially. Um, and... You know, I was talking to some of our customers along the way, and one of them said, like, wait, that's crazy. Like, this is the greatest software purchase I've ever made. You've completely transformed my business. Like, you can't. I need this. And so I was like, all right, would you consider paying for the year up front? Um, and it was kind of a, a big business. Um so that we can keep the lights on and like work with us to help us understand what it is so we can do more of that. So we got a handful of customers that did that. Um, so we funded that, that kind of first year. Um, and those, those customers all kind of looked similar. So they had brick and mortar presence, but they were also starting to sell online. So they were like, you know, boutique owners and retailers. Right. right? Um, and, they understood that email was kind of the the most successful channel they had to drive online sales and they repeat were happy with there. yeah repeat sales they were happy with their um with their email provider but none of the email providers offered growth tools right yeah so, uh so i was like oh this is interesting and i had always kind of seen list growth is one of the major benefits of our initial product, but I never leaned into it. Right. Um, and I really just kind of, it took me hearing it a multitude of times from those customers that refused to let us like shut down essentially, <laughs> uh, for me to say, you know what, there's actually something really interesting here. Let's change everything about our sales model. Let's change everything about our go to market. Uh, let's roll out a free plan and let's make it entirely self-serve and just see what happens. What year was this, just the, the level set? This was 1989. <laughs> <laughs> no, this wow, was... Privy was early in the SaaS market. <laughs> Feels that way. Uh, no, this was, Feels let me like think about that for a sec. This was um, 2000 and... 15, right, late so the, 2015. So the inbound movement was like kind of playing into your hands too. Like, uh, you know, content uh, output from companies is going up They're You know, they're trying to measure ROI, which a, a big part of that is signups, right? Product signups, whatever it is, product signups, email signups. Um, and people became obsessed with list growth and subscription growth. So uh, it sounds like that kind of played into your hands a bit too. Totally. Yeah. And there were, there were players out there, right? Like, you know, in, in B2B at the time, Sumo was there, Noah yep. Kagan, um, you know, and at one point we even used them on our blog. Um, 
but they they really just didn't do a great job for uh, this vertical for direct to consumer. And yeah. there's like some pretty specific components to it. HubSpot obviously B two B, Marketo B two B. So we just were like, you know what? There's something here, and there's right. no one really doing a great job of this. And this market is growing really quickly. We saw Shopify and all that, so. Um, it felt like a really exciting opportunity. And for the first time in years, we saw you know hundreds of users pouring in to actively use our software as opposed to like, you know, trying to force uh, slides on a deck for investors where there was no traction. Right. So like as, as some of the bigger, like, uh, you know, the bigger players in the market, even people like HubSpot, and then you have the conversational stuff and all these other tools have kind of hit the market some of it aimed at list growth has that impacted or how has it impacted the business if at all i mean we so there was a phase so basically 2016 through 2018 we hunkered down kind of like you guys mm-hmm. uh, so i have a lot of respect for that and all we did was listen to our customers build new functionality focused on site conversion and list growth for e-commerce. And that put us in a really good spot. It brought us from you know zero to four million without a sales team. And um, we certainly like saw a lot of people recognizing our growth and, and trying to uh, convince their customers that they had similar stuff, mostly from the email sure. side. Yeah, the SPs or the marketing automation companies. So we're starting to see uh, more and more people kind of, we have a target on our back essentially. Right, right. Um, But I think there's a lot of things that we do differently. I'm a big believer that um, it's like the features are table stakes, but it kind of doesn't matter, right? Like all software is going to zero. Everyone's going to have the same features in a year. Um, and it's about the other stuff. Uh, and I think we do an amazing job with the other stuff. And when you're focused 100%, like you are, on, on the list growth aspect of it too, I feel like you have an advantage because it's hard for other companies that are all-in-one or suites. They can't devote that same time that you do to whatever it is, R&D. Um, like it was similar when I was at Litmus. You know, it was an email testing software. You know, that's what it did. Tested your email before you sent it. And, you know, we would get questions, um, you know, from journalists sometimes whenever we announced a funding round or whatever it was, a new exec hire, like, oh, you worried about like Salesforce or, you know, or HubSpot or MailChimp or anybody just, you know, building, you know, what's stopping them from just building this functionality? And the answer was always, well, nothing. But, you know, to really do this correctly, you have to be focused on this, like all the intricacies of every ESP. um, You have to be focused on this 100% of the time, like. And the fact is those companies that like email testing just wasn't ever going to be there, like their sole focus. So I feel yeah. like almost you have that advantage in a way where it's, there's really a uh, few other companies that that's like their sole focus. And you, you're kind of like the, uh, you know, the, uh, the knowledge experts in the, in the, in, in the space. Um, and like you said, from talking to customers and building features and hunkering down for a few years, like who has more, who has more expertise around what they're looking for and what the feature should be than, than Privy? No, I, I couldn't agree more. The one thing I would, I would say is that um, when we hunker down, we, we also made a commitment to small business within e-commerce. Mm-hmm. And 
That is our laser focus. So we have since expanded the platform. A lot of people outside of e-commerce don't necessarily know this yet. Um, but we rolled out an email marketing solution. Nice. <laughs> and um, we, we pretty much half of our customer base is now paying us for, for email. Um, and that is growing faster than anything we've ever done. And I, I think, you know, it's the laser focus is critical. Um, we're also focusing on a segment that everyone else wants to move away from. Everyone's moving upstream, churn, this, that, the other thing, no one wants to deal with supporting for users. Um, and we just continue to lean into that and see a lot of success with those things. So we see over time continuing to evolve the platform. Uh, but really focusing on supporting small and mid-sized e-commerce businesses. Right. Um, so you almost sold the company. You pivoted the product. When did you feel like, <laughs> your answer is probably going to be, uh, you're not there yet, but when did you feel like you reached product market fit? Like this is, this is where we're going to be. This is it. This is the product. I still don't ever use that word or know what that <laughs> means. I, I hate that word and like my board, Mike Volpe, I think gives me a lot of shit for hating that word, but <laughs> I, I, for me, I think that product market fit is an excuse that investors use to not invest in businesses um, where they don't like know what's happening. Right. <laughs> um, right. And so the, the moment that I realized we had something interesting was when, you know, in a matter of a couple weeks after we launched the new free version of Privy in 2016 or 15, whatever it was, um, when we started to see, you know, a hundred installs in a, in a month and, you know, for the prior iteration of Privy, it had taken three years to get to that, that level. Um, and then the next month it was like 200 free users that I'm talking like really engaged, you know? Right. Um, and when I, when I felt that happening, I was like, wow, we're onto something legit here. Right, right. Um, and w what do you feel like was the most, and I'm sure there's a lot, what was the most painful part going through that pivot, uh, both on you and, and, and the team? Um. That's a great question. Uh, honestly, the, the, the hardest part of any pivot is communicating that in a timely manner to the team in, in a transparent way when you're running out of money. Um, that moment was incredibly hard, right? Because I had to mm. let a bunch of people know that they need to find jobs between now and you know two months, essentially. Um, and also kind of offering a path forward for anyone that did want to stick around and help me try 2.0. Yeah. So that, that was hard, but then it was kind of like, it was fun and exciting because it was like, Oh, you've got all these investors that think you've gone out of business and like, they don't really <laughs> care, care about you. Um, even though they were incredibly supportive and like, you kind of get back to that building phase again. And when you, when we started to see the momentum, I think the hardest part there was, it was really a three year period where every day looked exactly the same, right? It was, for me especially, it was log into intercom, 
make sure every live chat gets a response quickly. And, uh, and if any of them want to get on the phone to learn more about advanced features, do that and repeat. And so that was kind of my day. And then, um, my, my counterparts on the engineering team would just build the features that maybe 20 or 30 people would ask for. Right. And like when I say we did that literally every day for three years, that was literally the only thing we did. I had right. no reasons for meetings. We weren't recruiting. All we were doing was just talking to customers and building what they asked for every single day. That is incredibly hard because it can be boring to some, yeah. but to me, having been through everything we went through the first time around where no one would talk to us and finding ourselves in a spot where every one of our users wanted to talk to us, I loved it. It was like, it was a game changer. Right. Is that part of the reason why I've, I've, I've seen Volpe refer to you as like uh, one of the most persistent founders he knows? <laughs> um, I think maybe, um, but I think for him, uh, Mike and I have really a pretty special relationship. We don't, we don't even hang out that much, but he's, he's a huge fan. Um, but he's seen a lot, both uh, when he was at HubSpot as the CMO, sure. and we were thinking about selling the company to a handful of players. Um, and then through me essentially, you know, getting rid of half the staff uh, and, and pivoting, and even him recruiting at one point <laughs> one of our superstar uh, employees. <laughs> so we, we've kind of been through it all. And then as he saw us starting to grow, uh, he led a bridge round for us when no one would invest in the company. He right. saw the numbers, he saw the magic, he saw the hustle. Um, and I think he's pretty pleased with that. Yeah, I would say you're at 60 employees now. So, as the company continues to grow, um, like you said, you were you were a smaller team. You were focused on the same really activities every single day. But as the team has continued to grow, as you know the the, the CEO of the company, how do you go about like keeping everyone aligned? Whether that's you know the marketing efforts, which I, I know that team has grown from product to sales, engineering. Like, how do you keep everyone aligned as the team continues to grow around a singular vision or message? Yeah. So every few months, my job has changed over the last three years, right? Like it used to just be me doing everything, right. um, non-engineering, right? Then we brought in an incredible support team to take over that sales, marketing, et cetera. So my, my role has changed a lot. What I find my job is right now is to just be incredibly repetitive internally in a good way, right? right like yeah, yeah. Make, make sure everyone in the company understands the context behind what they're doing, where we're headed and how things are going. Um, and that's actually one of the biggest challenges I've found we have as a company as we've grown really in a two to three year period from 10 to 60 people is you just can't communicate enough, right? And so I'm trying new stuff like uh, 
I think our, our meetings have evolved, our all hands have evolved, our quarterlies have evolved. I'm now doing like a internal podcast once a month um, on company performance, what's happening across teams, things like that. Um, you know, there's, there's all sorts of new stuff that we're trying, but that is, that is one of the hardest parts of this phase that I've found is just making sure everyone understands why. Right. Um, and is excited and and feels the impact of their work on that why. Can you share a bit of that with us here, like the 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 why or the vision that you share with the team? Like, what is that? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of expanded a lot, right? So I think um, originally, like we just we said, hey, there's a huge opportunity if we're just the leader in uh, website conversion for e-commerce. Right. Right. And then as that grew really quickly, the the opportunity crystallized in my mind. Right. We have hundreds of thousands of sites all over the world that are installing Privy early in their business life cycle before they have a MailChimp. Right. Before they have even heard of a MailChimp or a, a, anyone else. Right. And so what that's done for us is it's expanded our worldview of what we can be. And I talk a lot about what happened on top of Salesforce 10 or 15 years ago, where you had HubSpot, Marketo, Eloqua, uh, Pardot, all of those built brands and essentially all in ones for different segments of the market. Right. And I look at that and then I look at what's happening today in e-commerce on top of Shopify. And I think that same opportunity exists. But the brands need to look completely different. Right. The, the all-in-ones and the different modules of those all-in-ones need to look completely different. And um, because we're really good at self-service and onboarding and supporting free and small business, educating them as well, we really want to be kind of a parallel to like a HubSpot, uh, but 100% focused on, on small business. So um, that's, that's our vision. So the internal podcast is interesting to me. It sounds easier than writing like an internal newsletter, right? Like every week. I do that too, by the way. <laughs> you do both. So I, I, a lot of homework I mean, for I'm, everyone. I'm, tra- I'm trying to do a lot of stuff, right? So a lot happens inside a company. And I think it's important that if I'm, you know, siloed on one team, I'm curious what, sure. what is success working on? Yeah. What's a great customer story that happened this week? Or what is engineering launching? You know, what is marketing doing? So um, the goal between uh, this week at Privy, which is my newsletter uh, kind of thing inside our wiki, and uh, the once a month podcast, they kind of cover different topics. The once a month is like, hey, here are the core business metrics that everyone needs to understand. Uh, here's what, you know, job security and, and uh, uh, cash on hand looks like. And uh, this week at Privy is a bit more of a, a celebration right. uh, with a little bit of performance in there as well. Yeah, yeah. Do you So you kind of connect with each team rather than does each team share something similar like on what their team did that week or is this kind of all wrapped up in the This Week in Privy? Um, there's there's uh, another thing we do once a week called Show and Tell. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is not something that I drive. That's driven by the company. And yeah. um, whether you're remote or in office, you can share like what you're working on that week. Uh, we do that once a week on Friday. So that's kind of an opportunity for everyone to kind of just do some showing um, last maybe a half hour to an hour. And then 
I might include some of that in, in the, the this week at Privy 2, but it's also a chance for us to include some updated product right. launches and documentation so everyone has reference to these things that are kind of ephemerally flying through Slack throughout the course yeah, of the week. Yeah, right. So tell, tell me about the kind of goals that you set as a group. How do you land on like what's, you know, because there's, there's, there's a million different metrics and KPIs that you can value. There's the obvious ones like revenue and things like that. But what kind of goals do you set as, as an organization? And like, what does that process look like? Yeah, so um, there's, there's kind of like level one goals that are like management, board, mm-hmm. but obviously everyone's aware with the, about those. Um, and then within, within each team, so I can kind of speak to that. So certainly, um, the, the two things I'm most focused on, uh, are kind of net, uh, MRR growth and net retention. Um, obviously any good SaaS company, those are the two that define everything. Mm -hmm. Um, and then if you look at how those are made up, uh, oh, and CAC to LTV, um, but that's never really been an issue for us. Um, so I think within each team, there's different stuff, right? So it's like uh, within uh, customer success, um, time to response, uh, CSAT for chat versus tickets, NPS, uh, different things like that that we look at um, for product and marketing. It's uh, new users. Uh, per month, it's uh, free to paid for our different products, and uh, increasingly looking at cross sell as well. Right. So, uh, how how far ahead do you typically get like uh, on goals? Is it is it a is it a monthly? Is it quarterly? Do you also have annual uh, like an annual goals or an annual model that you build out? We do. We do. Um, I find. It's even with the momentum that we have and the volume that we have, it's still a little bit hard sure. to do that accurately. Yeah. Um, but we've, yeah, we, I mean, we set at the beginning of the year, we set a goal that was a hundred percent ARR growth this year. And then you kind um, of back into kind of what you need throughout the rest of the funnel. Yeah. And then that kind of defines with some ramps and seasonality, like, Right. What does retention need to be? What does new user count need to be to, to put us on track for that? And uh, what is it? It's, you know, so we finished August and we're 100% on track for that, which is freaking amazing. Um, <laughs> that is good, because yeah. I think when we set those goals earlier in the year, I don't think we had the kind of crystal ball that, that we do now. So um, I think, you know, now it's kind of like with, with the second product and with cross-sell, um, the numbers get bigger for sure, but um, it it feels more uh, palatable when you think about it. On you've got your core funnel, and then you've got a cross sell, and you've got the sales team. You've got different assets um, that you can use in different ways right. uh, to achieve big goals, uh, not necessarily with with huge amounts of funding. How do you so? How do you communicate that? Like, because I would assume this model's in a spreadsheet of some sort. Um, and so how do you communicate and like that, that trickle down for like, you know, the marketing team or sales team and everybody knows what kind of their numbers are. How do you align the whole team around that? Yeah. So that's, that's stuff that I include in, in the, uh, this week email 
in the monthly kind of internal podcast, we're looking at the month close. Right. Uh, we're looking at those those key like level one metrics and how we're doing towards goal. Um, and you know, if we miss this month, how much do we need to make up next month to kind of stay on track? So I think I've found those are good rallying points if more people are aware of what the goals are and <laughs> understand how they can impact them. Right. And I assume that each team kind of has their activities, right? That they map to these to these goals, right? So it kind of keeps everybody focused on the right things, which which is always a challenge, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think there's there's a million ways that anyone here could spend their day, right? And so I think uh, understanding how that that feature or that bug or you know. Uh, the response time on tickets can impact the retention or the, the revenue or the cross sell numbers, I think is critical for people to be excited about what they're doing. And we still have a lot of work to do on that. Like right. we're not, we're not amazing. I'm still trying to figure out different avenues to communicate these things. Um, but yeah, I think communication sits at the center of all that. And I think one thing so many people find challenging about goals is like landing on the actual number. So what is, I mean, is it, uh, for, for you, is it, is it kind of driven by conversations with the board? Um, uh, like how do you, how do you actually land on a number? Like what, what's the right number? It's a good question. I, it's funny. I mean, the board has never been like, you got to get to this number next year, you know? Um, right. I think I've really driven that. Um, and it's driven by what I think is possible, what I think is challenging, uh, but what I think would feel really, really good for everyone involved if sure. we're able to hit that, right? And so um, I think you, you've probably seen it. If you set goals that are too low, you know, it's great to have to build momentum, but you know you're missing out on more, right? Yeah. Um, so I, I, I try to set goals that are lofty, challenging, that require everyone here to up-level, myself included, but that are attainable. Right. How much of historical data comes into play there? So like, you, you know, if, if you grew by 75% last year, um, you know, and we think we're adding X amount of people and we can increase our output in these areas. Like how much does that play a role? It does. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, we've been growing over a hundred percent year over year. So that's certain, <laughs> that's certainly where I, where I set the goal, right. At a minimum, we want to continue that. Right. Um, you know, and then the question is, do you have the team, that you need to do that? Do you need more capital to do that? Um, or is it unrealistic at the scale that we're getting to? But sure. I think for now, 100% year over year is, is where we've set the, the target. So what are some of the things in terms of, you know, driving, you know, new acquisition? Like what are some of the things that worked maybe early on? So that, that phase you talked about that, you know, uh, the grinding phase where you were kind of doing the same activities every day, like what worked then and how has that changed? And like, what, what works now? Like what, what are some of the key drivers for, you know, for new acquisition? Yeah, it's a good, good question. So 
Um, we have, we've done a lot. Early on, what I was doing was supporting free users quickly, right? Um, and what, what I found when we did that was they'd be like, oh my God, you know, I've never gotten live chat support as a free user. Like, this is awesome. And they would they'd post in the e-commerce forums of e-commerce entrepreneurs, like, Privy's amazing. You know, you would, and I, I'd like stock and see it. Sometimes I'd <laughs> comment and stuff. Um, I'd write on Quora anytime someone was talking about like e-commerce and exit intent and email right. capture and things right. like that. Um, and then from a product perspective, a lot of it was product driven, frankly, like I can't take credit for that. What we did was we recognized that the world was looking for integrated solutions and we built probably 60 integrations, right? Just like you. So, um, every integration we built, it had to add value to our users, right? First and foremost, sure. but it also got us a foot in the door in a new app store and a new ecosystem. Um, and new co-marketing ops. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I gave a talk once about like, about integrations driving growth. And it was like you, people who think you can partner in 2019 without an integration, like it's different if it's an agency, but as two tech companies, like right. give me a break, there's no <laughs> value. Right. So you got to build that integration and we would just invest ahead of time in building the integration and getting users before we reached out to say, hey, hey MailChimp, you know, we actually have a lot of users. We drive list growth. We don't send email. Like, promote us to our to your users. And then, you know, a couple of years later, we're listed on their site. We're one of their top partners. And then, you know, you take that, multiply that by 50. Some of them are flops. But that integrations and app store game really drove tremendous growth paired with the fact that we are just religious about response times, right? connecting with users and offering trainings and support for free you users. You still offer that support to free users today? Yeah. 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 Yep. That's an the important board. part of the freemium model. We, we do the same thing. And uh, you're right that it's, it's, uh, it's kind of unheard of and... People are, are sort of pre pleasantly surprised, but yeah, for, I think for the freemium model to work, um, and you don't have a massive inside sales team, like that's, that's your, that's a, that's a big lever. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, you'd have to like pry my dead body out of privy for us to <laughs> shut, shut that off. Free support. Yeah. Uh, and so like what, what are, how is it? So you mentioned like, those are some of the things that worked early on. What about today? Like, what are some things marketing is doing? Like, what are some of the key drivers that, that work today? So today we have the audience, uh, that other people are hungry for. So we still do a lot of co-marketing with people that are perhaps a little bit smaller, um, but have meaningful bases of overlapping or potential users. Um, we do a ton of content. Um, you know, we haven't had much success with paid, frankly, um, but we've off. We still have a free plan. We've made that more robust, actually, with our new pricing model. Um, and so, it's kind of like to date, it's the same stuff that is working, just on a larger scale for it for us. Right. Right. Um, what would you say? is the team's 
you know, uh, the organization or, or specific teams, what, what would you say is the most ambitious goal right now or, or the biggest challenge over the next six to 12 months? Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of what we're thinking about is, hey, what are the things holding us back from more product, you know, from increasing the efficiency of our sales team, from uh, increasing, you know, cross-sell? Like, is it a money thing or is it a us thing? Um, and don't get me wrong, things are going great for us right now, but I think a lot of what we're doing is just some in inside thinking, some soul searching around what we need next, frankly. Right. Um, and, and is it money or do we just need to continue improving what we've got? Um, because I think for us, as we expand into email, uh, I think we're already like the second or third largest email marketing provider for, for small e-commerce stores. So um, <laughs> I think internally we just have a lot of evolution to do of how we view ourselves um, and what is truly possible with the team we have here. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's uh, we're entering a new phase as a company. Uh, everyone's jobs are changing. The way people view us in the market is changing as, as they think of us as uh, perhaps an all-in-one. Um, and how we react right. to that will really define the next year for us. So I think the hardest thing we have is uh, scaling the company uh, while continuing to aggressively invest in new stuff in the market. How does the, the play into being an email service provider now, how does that affect some of the partnerships or co-marketing relationships with other ESPs that you've been partnered with for you know a long time already? People like MailChimp. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. How have those conversations gone? <laughs> for the most part, really well. Um, what we found is time and time again, vendors who maybe start with small business are moving upstream. Right. Right. So uh, we're partnered with pretty much every ESP, right? Clavio, uh, fantastic partner. We probably have 10,000 shared users. They're moving more and more upstream. Um, Conversio, I don't know if you ever heard of those guys, moving more and more upstream for e-commerce. Right. And, and for, for a lot of these players, you can't even talk to a human unless you're at a thousand MRR or higher. Right. So right. I think um, just they haven't been as upset as I'd imagine. And we're very clear, like we're not trying to rip and replace Bronto or Clavio. Right. We're, we're really just providing that initial experience that these small merchants need all in one spot. Um, and at some point we do expect that they may outgrow our email solution and they should keep privy on site, which they'll never grow out of. And you just flip the back end, you're over to Clavio or Bronto or whoever you're using. And we, for the people that understand that, the ESPs that understand that we're still sending a ton of business to these guys. So, um, we did get an angry call from MailChimp, um, <laughs> And that was, that was an interesting experience, but that was for me kind of like the moment when I, I saw we had product market fit for our core product. For me, that was, that was the moment where I was like, okay, this email thing is really happening. 
Well, they just raised their prices too this week. So it's like, again, when you, when you talk about moving up market, um, the SMB customer, yeah, gets, can get left behind or priced out. So it, it sounds like, yeah, this, this can be a solution for, for that, for that market. Uh, what's, I guess like a couple questions, what's different about it? Like how, how does this serve? Cause like anything else, Privy builds, I'm sure you've been in communication with customers and you know, kind of what would work for them or what features they want. So like, how does this, um, new email product like, how is it, how is it uh, targeting or how is it, uh, you know, sort of geared toward the SMB? Yeah. So I think, you know, let's take MailChimp for a sec, right? Amazing product, super advanced or super beginner supports nonprofits, SaaS companies, restaurants, e-commerce, you name it. Right. But what that means is if I'm an e-commerce business, how many clicks does it take me to set up the four or five things that I absolutely need for my business that are specific to e-commerce. And what we found is, as a lot of the incumbents go broader to support multiple use cases, it just gets harder to do simple things as a small business, right? And for us, our we talk a lot about time to value, right? So our core product, as soon as you install Privy as a small business, you're live with an email capture campaign that looks great that is kind of based off the best practices we see on our network and it's the same thing for email so you can certainly tweak the design and this and that and the segmentation but we know that every site needs an abandoned card email series right we know that you need an email confirmation after an order is placed so the core workflows because we're so tightly integrated with e-commerce are check a box as opposed to building those from scratch which is what a lot of the more advanced kind of functionality players do sure so you know we want to support those tweaks and edits but you know if you're doing a hundred orders a month on your store what you really need is to get live quickly with automations that are going to uh, solve some pretty big challenges you have that's interesting. And is this uh, is this part of the free product, or is this for paid per users? Yeah. So right now, email is only on a paid offering. Yeah. Um, but one of the things we're we're dabbling is when we go with a free tier for email. Right. Right. Something you're toying with maybe for next year. Twenty twenty. Yeah. yeah. So you're going to be leaning into the email a bit more, like the actual email uh, service a bit more in twenty twenty. Yeah, and one one more channel as well that we're opening up. So Ooh, stay yeah. tuned. We'll have to have you back. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Super excited. Ben, this has been great, man. Thanks for being so transparent and honest about about the business and and how it works. Uh, Privy's been a great story, and I know, uh, especially for for other startups, you know, startups like Databox, and, and looking at you guys and how long you've been at it and uh, the challenges that you face and how you come out the other end. So it's it's fun to have you on and hear the story. Yeah, no, it's been fun watching you guys too. Thanks for having me, John. Thanks so much for listening. If you found this episode valuable, check out our other episodes or subscribe to get new ones. If you want to support the show, we'd love for you to leave a review or share it with someone. And if you want a tool to help you track and improve your business performance, try Databox free at databox.com.